Good morning. Our scripture reading this morning comes from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Hear now the word of God. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is God's way of dealing with our sins, not only our sins, but the sins of the whole world. This is how we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. The one who claims, I know him, while not keeping his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in this person. But the love of God is truly perfected in whoever keeps his word. This is how we know we are in him. The one who claims to remain in him ought to live in the same way as he lived. Dear friends, I'm not writing a new commandment to you, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old command, commandment is the message you heard. On the other hand, I am writing a new commandment to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light already shines. The one who claims to be in the light while hating a brother or sister is in the darkness even now. The person loving a brother and sister stays in the light and there is nothing in the light that causes a person to stumble. But the person who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and lives in the darkness and doesn't know where to go because the darkness blinds the eyes. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We have been, uh, for these Sundays of this new year, in a series of sermons, really a church-wide season of prayer that we're calling Thresholds. I'll say more about that in, in just a moment. Today, we're going to be talking specifically about the prayer of confession. And I suppose I should start by confessing to you a confession about the prayer of confession. Did you follow that? When Kelly and I first came to First Church way back in 1989, we only had traditional services then. And every Sunday at the traditional service, there was a formal unison prayer of confession that we said together. Uh, we don't say it every Sunday now. We do most of the time on communion Sundays. We will in just a moment. But I suspect all of you know it. Uh, let's say it together. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience 
Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Well, as I've shared with you before, I I didn't really grow up in church. The, The limited church exposure I had was in churches that did not uh, have prayers or liturgy where the congregation speaks in worship. Uh, We didn't even do the Lord's Prayer in the the church that I was most familiar with. Uh, When there was prayer, it was some man in a pulpit who prayed the prayer. And so all of those uh, responsive readings, all of those prayers, all of those creeds were new to me and frankly, a little strange just as most new things can feel a little strange, a little awkward. But the prayer that felt most awkward to me was the prayer of confession. Everybody saying their confession out loud in front of everybody else just felt uncomfortable. And and who says that I did these things anyway was my thought. Who says that I did things I wasn't supposed to do and didn't do things that I was supposed to do and and I'm supposed to just say that out loud in front of perfect strangers? I didn't like it. And so here's my confession. I didn't do it. While all of you are praying your confession out loud, I just kept my mouth shut. I wasn't a very mature Christian back in those days, not that I am now necessarily, Uh, but I have learned a few things through the years, including the depth and reality of my sinfulness, that as the prayer said, there are things that I have done. I have rebelled against God's love. I have broken God's commands, and there are things that I have left undone. And I've come through the years to appreciate liturgical prayer. What what I most understand about liturgical prayer is that that if I am going to pray my own prayer, if I am going to confess my own sins, that oftentimes I can be a bit repetitive, that sometimes these ancient traditions and prayers express truth that are beyond what I might pray on my own, particularly when it comes to confession. There is wisdom here. There are things that we all can confess, even on a weekly basis. Even though your sins might differ than my sins in specificity, there is truth. We've all broken God's law. We've all rebelled against God's love. We've all failed to hear the cry of the needy. The truth is the prayer of confession just barely scratches the surface for me most weeks, but it's a good place to start. I was particularly convicted when I discovered this passage of scripture that says, if we claim we don't have any sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful, that's Jesus, is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from everything we've done wrong. If we claim we have never sinned, We make him a liar, and the word is not in us. It's not a very in vogue topic. It's not very sophisticated. It's probably a a topic we'd rather just avoid, but scripture is clear from page one to the final page. We're all sinners, every single one of us. Every human who's ever lived is a sinner except for Jesus. All of us 
have sinned, all of us are in need of saving. Throughout every page of scripture, there's story after story of sinners, humans like you and me disobeying God, rebelling against God's ways, wandering from the fold, straying from God, selfish activities, hurting others, hurting ourselves, saying things that shouldn't be said, acting impulsively, all in all making a mess of things. And then, of course, there are those who take sin so seriously that they they do all that they can to make plenty of rules so that they or nobody else sins. And all that does is exclude people and judge people. We call that legalism. Scripture affirms it, confirms it, life confirms it. Humans need saving, most often from ourselves. Adam and Eve lived in a perfect existence. All they had to do was obey one simple rule, don't eat the fruit. What did they do? At one point, things got so bad, the world had become so violent, God's only remedy was a flood. God offered a relationship, a personal relationship with himself, the creator and sustainer of the universe, and his people over and over decided they'd rather worship idols carved by their own hands. Over and over, scripture tells us the story of God's people failing to keep his commandments, to observe his teachings. Over and over, God's hand-picked anointed leaders failed miserably over and over religious people tried to buffer things up with hateful legalism how often in scripture do we read stories of God's people trusting money military power charismatic leaders foreign alliances rather than trusting and obeying God how often do we read stories of God's people neglecting the weak The hungry, the naked, the alien, the outsider, the unfortunate, the orphan, the widow, the disadvantaged, the poor, all of whom God cares so deeply for. In the words of the Apostle Paul, everyone has sinned. No exceptions. Everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. The standard is up here and somehow we never get above about here, maybe not that high. All have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious standard. The problem with the way many use that text from Romans 3 is they stop there. That is true, we do fall short, but there's more to the story. Paul continues, yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sins. In just a few moments, we'll be gathering here at the table for the sacrament of Holy Communion. We'll receive bread and juice, symbols of Christ's body and blood given for us on the cross. The ultimate symbol of God's love, grace, and forgiveness for all of us. Many of us will will kneel here at these altar rails, pray a prayer of confession, and then receive the bread and the juice as symbols that God still loves us. In spite of whatever it is we leave here at the altar, God loves us still. In his grace, he freely 
makes us right. In the old Catholic mass, the priest would at one point, as the, as the host and the wine were blessed, would step back from the table and bow and pound their chest, saying old Latin words, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. Those words mean my mistake, my error, my fault, my most grievous fault, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. In essence, the priest was saying for himself and for everyone else, I'm responsible, we're responsible for this, for Christ's sacrificial death on the cross, for my sins, our sins, the sins of the world, I did this, my sin did this. It's a prayer of confession, mea culpa, mea culpa. Prayers of confession come in many shapes or forms. As we're talking about the Catholic Church, some of you may know uh, that it's a sacrament within the Catholic Church to kneel before a priest and say, Father, forgive me for I have sinned and then to share the sins that you've committed and receive absolution. I mentioned earlier the prayer that we say collectively and worship together. We're told in the Lord's Prayer, don't forget to say, forgive us our trespasses, our sins rather, as we forgive those who trespass or sin against us. Or perhaps your prayer of confession is simply that private moment where you pour out your heart to God, acknowledging the truth of your sinfulness. The point isn't so much the form that our prayer of confession takes. The point is the intent. Acknowledging, God, I am a sinner in need of a Savior. We've said throughout this series that the purpose of prayer is to know God. Its purpose is relational. And you and I both know that in every human relationship, there are moments when we say or do things or neglect to say or do things that hurts or offends someone else. And that creates relational distance. The same is true in our relationship with God. Sins distance us. Sins separate us from God. And yet God's response is not to distance himself. God's response is grace and forgiveness. God hears our confession and forgives us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from everything we've done wrong. When we bring our confession to God, the record of our sin is erased. Our consciences are cleansed. Our relationship with God is restored and reconciled. We are made new. Think about stories you know from the Bible, from the very beginning to the very end, story after story of humans just messing things up and God responding in grace. God offering forgiveness. God starting things over again. Anyone in Christ is a new creation. We use this word grace a lot. Sometimes I think we might forget what it means. It's it's formally defined as the unmerited favor of God. Think about those words, unmerited, unearned, undeserved, 
not paid for, not acquired on your own, unmerited. Favor, that means God is for us, that God is on your side. God wants the very best for you. That's grace, and sometimes grace is given as forgiveness because God offers that to us because God is for us. Paul describes it like this. He says in Romans 8, if God is for us, who could ever be against us? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and he is sitting at the place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Anything? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? I'm convinced that nothing Nothing can separate us from God's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below. Indeed, nothing, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. When we confess our sin, we need not fear. Perfect love casts out fear. We need not fear that God's response will be wrath or punishment. The promise of scripture is God's response to confession is always, always, always grace. Now don't just misunderstand me. There certainly are consequences to our sin. You know that and I know that. God's grace does not negate negate the reality that, that for many of our sins, there's great pain to be experienced. Sometimes it's the sins we inflict upon ourselves. Sometimes it's the sins we inflict on others or have been inflicted upon us. We can never, never treat sin lightly because the consequence of sin is so great. Grace also does not mean that God is never angry with us or disappointed in us. I suspect God is disappointed quite a bit. But what it does mean is when we fall short, God loves us nonetheless. That in spite of our flaws and failures, as many as there may be, God still desires a relationship with us. God's response is always grace. Psalm 103.12 says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far God has removed our sin from us. Throughout this series, we've been using the image of a threshold for prayer. We've said that when you step across the threshold, often you're stepping one from one room, one space into another, and that prayer is like that leaving one kind of purpose of life, one one experience, one practice into the presence of God where you can be in communion and conversation with God. I want to suggest today that the confession is like that. It's like stepping across a threshold. But I want to be clear. 
when we pray our prayer of confession and we step across that threshold into the presence of God, we need not fear that we're going to come face to face with an angry God. We need not fear that we're stepping into punishment. We need not fear that we're stepping into judgment or condemnation. We need not fear that there will be a harsh response. The promise of God is that when we step across that threshold, grace awaits us. Amazing grace. I suspect every one of you stepped across the threshold into your bathroom this morning. It serves a particular purpose. But there's another threshold often inside of our bathroom. Some of you also stepped across the threshold into your shower. I won't be checking you personally. I'm just going to assume that's true. You stepped across the threshold into the shower where water washed away yesterday's grit and grime and stench. And you left it clean washed clean to begin a new day to prepare yourself to come for worship. I think that's what grace is like. Stepping across the threshold into God's shower of grace that cleanses us and makes us new. Anne Lamott writes, I do not understand always, do, do not all, I'm sorry, I do not at all understand the mystery of grace, only that it meets us where we are but does not leave, it, leave us where it found us. So here's a thought for you today. In a few moments as you approach the altar, you're going to take a step from the seat that you're currently sitting, currently occupying. I want you to imagine that that first step you take is a step across the threshold, that you are literally stepping into the grace of God. Receive it. It's freely given to every one of us. Let us pray. And so God, now as we confess our sins, hear them. Hear the heart behind them. Hear the truth behind the words. And Lord, forgive. As is your heart, forgive us all. In Jesus' name we pray.